All right, so we continue on in our marriage series, the gospel-centered marriage, looking at what the Bible has to say about marriage. And uh, here's the plan. Week one, we looked at the foundation, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, and that is central to all marriage. Uh, weeks two and three, we're looking at the biblical wife. Weeks uh, four and five, we're looking at uh, the biblical husband. Week six, relational intimacy. Uh, week seven, physical intimacy. And week eight, spiritual uh, intimacy. And I want to just, just let us know and remind us that this content is for everybody, whether married, going to be married, happily unmarried, uh, post-marriage, wherever you're at, this series is for everyone. Now, let me just explain our heart as a church in this. Is Listen, we never, ever, ever want anybody to feel ostracized or out of place or unwelcome, and that's the same with uh, even going through a series on marriage, because we know that we have a lot of people that are post-marriage, uh, troubled marriage, out of marriage, not yet married. And, and listen, I, I say this quite a bit, and I just want to reemphasize that we are not just a family church. We are a church family. And so that means that if, even if you don't have immediate family involved in the church, or a spouse involved, or children, it doesn't mean this isn't for you. We're, yes, we're a family church, and that we're ministering to families, but more than anything, we are a church family, that we come together united in our Father, which makes us brothers and sisters, that we are a a church family. And so our desire is not to exclude you in any way. And listen, let me just say this, that a marriage, a wedding, is not like a step up into a more validated life. Uh, Marriage is not the good life. Jesus is the good life. And that's the message, and we just want to make sure you get that. But I do want to talk about uh, just give you a few reasons as to why uh, this series is for those people who are unmarried. And so let me just give you a few points as to why uh, this series is for those people who are also uh, not married. Uh, understanding marriage helps you understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so it's very important for us to understand marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, as we said at the foundation, uh, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that he says that marriage is a mystery that has been from the foundations of the world and then He really exposes it that the mystery is this. It refers to Christ and his church, that Christ loves his bride, the church, with a sacrificial, unconditional, gracious, uh, committed love. And he even dies for his bride, the church. And so uh, whether you're married or not, it's important to understand marriage and get a grip on marriage, even if you're, you, you're not going to be married at all in the future, uh, you really need to understand marriage because, uh, because really it's one of God's primary pictures of his love and his relationship with the church. And so that's very important. Another reason why this series is for those even who are uh, not married is that understanding marriage helps you grow in other relationships that you have in your life. And we all have relationships in our life. And so the relational principles that we're going to glean from the scriptures through this series They really do spill over and apply to other relationships in your life. Uh, Really, here's what marriage is. Uh, It's all of your other relationships that you have in your life, except with the commitment to never break up, to never graduate and lose touch, to, to, to never get a new roommate, to never get a new employer and lose touch with your coworkers. No, marriage is a commitment for the rest of your life. And so it's, it's all of your relationships, but really, really committed till death do you part. And so the things that you learn here will help you to become a better friend and to be more Christ-like in your friendships and in your uh, familial relationships as well. Third one, the, the third reason why this teaching series is for those people who are unmarried as well is because uh, understanding marriage helps you to interact 
uh, well with married people in your life, and we all have married people in our lives. And so family or friends or neighbors or coworkers, you have married people in your life, and this series will help you to relate with them and will help you to even speak into uh, their marriages and into their lives in an informed way. And so even if, you're, even if you're unmarried, listen, you can speak into the lives of married people, and you can do so about marriage. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Apostle Paul and Jesus, who give us uh, probably the most amount of content on marriage in terms of what we're looking at, uh, both unmarried, and they're speaking into marriage. And so don't say, well, I, I really can't offer anything. No, you can offer what you learn to speak into marriages, even if you yourself are unmarried. And then the final reason and the most obvious reason that this series is for the unmarried as well is that understanding marriage equips you in the event that it's God's plan for you to be married. Statistics say that 87% of all people will be married at some point in their life. And so this content that we're looking at from the scripture uh, for, for many, if not most of us, is preparatory. And so this is for all of us. Uh, and if point four doesn't apply to you, one, two, and three applies to you. And so this is for all of us. And so let's see what God uh, intends. Uh, if you want to flip to First Peter chapter 3, that's where we're going to start out. First Peter uh, chapter 3, we continue this week with a look at the biblical wife, and I want to pick up where we left off at the last message, uh, covered verses 1 through 6, unpacked some instruction for wives about purity, about humility, about gentleness, about imperishable beauty, uh, about following the leadership of the husband in the home, and now I want to look at verse 7 to kick us off here. Uh, Verse 7, because listen, in light of everything that we've looked at in verses 1 through 6, verse 7, because God knows the, the proclivity for all of us to, to really move towards sin and even, even take scriptures and, and not apply them well. He knows for men the proclivity to move towards chauvinism and towards abuse. And so he follows these first six verses of this chapter up with verse 7. And here's what he says, First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, he's been talking to wives. Now, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so the first piece of this verse is, is live with your wives in an understanding way. Now I wonder how many of us men in this room have ever said, I don't understand women. Anybody ever said that? You're like, I don't understand woman. Or she's crying, you're like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, what's, what's going on? So yesterday, uh, Becky and I have been, we, the start of the new year, we worked on a, a new budget, and we're going to be really tight with it, uh, but we're about to go to Disney World, and so, um, and pools, and sun, and all that fun stuff, shorts are going to come out, and it's going to be great, and so uh, she said, I really need a pedicure, I said, that doesn't fit in the budget, and I said, besides, what, a pedicure, I mean, really, I and mean, what's the purpose of all the, the, you know, the, what do you call it, stuff, the, no, not the file, the, the, the polish. I mean, we have all this polish floating around our house. I'm like, why do you need to go get somebody else to do it? You get, that's what it's for. You have it. She says, you don't understand. I'm like, I don't understand. She says, they, they, you know, they cut around your, what? I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't understand these things. And uh, on a deeper level, there are things that I find that I don't, I don't necessarily understand. But the call here is that we need to seek to, to understand, to gain understanding. First of all, men, for women in general, it's important that we learn how to understand them. But two, the, 
the wife that God uh, may give you, uh, which is going to require on our part patience. It's going to require on our part perseverance. It's not this one time I'm going to give it a shot and see if I can understand it. If not, well, I try. No, perseverance and seeking to understand, and it's going to require humility on our part. And so we really have to to do that so that we might live with your wife in an understanding way. And then he goes on and he says, he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, I imagine after having read that statement, if I were to poll uh, 10 women, nine out of the 10 women heard me say weaker vessel, but didn't hear what came before that, showing honor as the weaker vessel. Vessel. Remember, this verse follows the first six verses that really talk about uh, the role of a wife, and then it follows it because it knows that men can abuse uh, this, uh, the, these passages of Scripture. And so he, he says, men, you must honor women. You must honor women. You must honor women. So yes, she is, uh, your, your wife is to follow your lead and, and submit to you, which rubs us a little bit. But he's saying, but men... This is not to be abused. You are to use these things to honor women. Honor women. And then he says, as the weaker vessel. And so what he is doing here is he's establishing that men and women are different. I know in our culture, some people say, oh, no, no, we can do it. No. He's establishing men and women are different. He created us that way, and it's, it's okay and different does not mean unequal. It just means different. We're, we're, we're different. We are equal. We don't have to be the same to be equal. We're just different and therefore to be handled uh, differently. And, and here's the metaphor he gives. He gives the, the metaphor that women are the weaker vessel. A vessel is something that you would, you would fill up. And I have, um, I have this I brought. It'll show and tell. This is a piece of uh, Becky's grandmother's Fine china. And you know, at my house, you know where we store this? We store this on the, the top shelf of our china cabinet. Why? Because the bottom shelf is where everything gets destroyed from my daughter going in and ripping it out and throwing it. Bring. We, we want to protect it and we, we honor it. And so it's a weaker vessel, but it doesn't mean it's any less valuable. It means it's someone, something that we, we honor and we put in a place of honor. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12 will say that, that for a husband, uh, the excellent wife is the crown in his head, that, that she's this beautiful thing that he wants to honor and, and lift up. And so we, we honor the weaker vessel. We, we protect it. We show honor to it. And it doesn't mean that it's any less valuable. It means that it's different. And so we want to protect it and to care for it, to elevate women and to put them on the, the top shelf. Why? It goes on. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. In other words, because Christian men and women have the same inheritance. You both are heirs to the grace of life. You both have eternity with the Lord and relationship with the Lord if you trust in the Lord. And so it's not that one is different and the other uh, gets you know, an entirely different inheritance. No, you get the same inheritance. It's the Lord. It's eternity with, with him, right? Standing with him. And he says, so you honor her because different doesn't mean any less than you. And then he gives this condition for men. 
He says you better understand them, seek to understand them, and you better honor them. And he says, so that what? What does it say? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So men, he says, if you dishonor women, I will not take heed to your prayers, is what God says. Again, God is protecting women. And especially then, you have no idea how huge this was then in this culture for it to be said that, listen, God will not hear you and answer your prayer if you dishonor women. In that culture, that was a huge statement. It was unbelievably liberating and protecting for the women. Do you know what? In our culture today, it's not that much different. We think we're so sophisticated and different, but we don't protect women in our culture. We objectify them, which leads to men using them for their pleasure however they wish. And when they're finished with them, they discard them like trash. And so we shouldn't look at the culture and say, we're so much better, we're so different. Not necessarily. Christian men, any culture, we are called to honor women. And so we deal differently with the weaker vessel than we perhaps will with the, the men. And men, this is, this is you as a, as a drinking vessel. This is you right here. When I was in college, these were hip, and it didn't matter if you had a cup of water. You just wanted to carry one of these around. This was, this was fashionable. You just had, a, had to say Nalgene on it, and that was, how, that was the deal. And the, the difference is, it's got an entirely different purpose. It's water, it's sporty, it's got something different. But you know what you can do with this? Throw it on the ground. People try to run it over with their car just to kind of see if it'll really stand the test that it's, it's given. It's different. And you deal differently with this than you do with this. Physically, emotionally, conversationally, entirely different. You know where this gets thrown? Not on the top shelf. It gets thrown in the back of my car, right? I mean, that, we, we deal entirely different with these two vessels. Not that one is better than the other, that they have equality, but they have different different functions and different purposes. You can drop it, kick it, throw it, machine wash it even. The point is, well, there's a couple of points. Men and women are different, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that one is less valuable than the other. Men and women are different but equal in God's eyes. Different roles, handled differently. And then the the other point is that God honors women, and he wants all of us to honor women. If you think through Scripture, Jesus himself was revolutionary in how he protected and cared for and honored women, wasn't he? I mean, think about some of the things that Jesus did. They were ready to stone the adulterous woman. What did he do? He just shut them up and said, if you're without sin, why don't you be the one to cast the first stone? The rock started to drop. He protects this woman who was sinful. Or the, the, the woman who uh, comes by and she puts the coins in the receptacle at the temple, Nobody cared, one, because she was a woman, two, because it wasn't much money. But Jesus says, oh, no, check out what this lady did. She gave everything, and he lifts up this woman. You think about the Samaritan woman. He spends some time with her beside the well. He's hanging out with this woman beside the well, which was taboo in that culture. She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan. Jesus says, no, I have time for her. It's not disgraceful, and he spends time with her. You think about... The, the, the first people to see the resurrected Jesus, as recorded in the scripture, are women. And their testimony couldn't even hold up in the court of law in that day. Jesus says, no, it doesn't mean that I'm going to change how the scriptures are recorded. They saw me. And so 
God is constantly honoring, honoring women. Now, as we move forward, we need to bring it all back to creation. We keep doing that through this series. We need to bring it back to creation. So in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, you don't have to necessarily flip there. We'll put some scripture on the screen for you. It shows us the fact that we need to go back to creation, and this stuff is recorded for us at the creation account. It shows us this. It shows us that what God has set up for men and for women and for their roles is something that goes all the way back to creation, even before sin enters into the world. And so this is not something that changes and evolves with time and with culture. These are what we call creation mandates. This is what God had in mind from the beginning of the world. It doesn't change with with culture and with generation. And so we can't use that adage, well, that was then and this is now. No, this is how it was designed to be. And so Genesis, to to get a little bit of a foundation, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, and and, and then into 28, and I'm going to bounce around a a bit, we see that God creates uh, male and female, and it says that he makes them in his image and likeness. So both tremendous value, both and made in his image and in his likeness. Verse 28, he tells both of them, both of them, this is his call, I want you both to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it and to have dominion. Both of you have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God has given dominion to, to both. And, and, and together, hand in hand, we will uh, lead the, the world, uh, uh, humanity, uh, in this place, we will do so together. Then in, in chapter 2, we get a more detailed account of, of the creation of man and woman and what took place. And uh, understand that, as we said in, in week 1 in the foundation, that God could have created however he wanted. But it's very interesting and even kind of strange how he creates man and woman. And this is not just some legend. He does so creatively and, and poetically forming man and woman so that we could really understand their roles. And in Genesis chapter 2, you remember God creates man from the dust of the ground and then he breathes into him the breath of life and he is enlivened by the breath of, of God. And it's so neat to see that he's created everything by using words, but for mankind, he, he creates them with his hand and he breathes into them the breath of life. It gives great value and a unique and special relationship with God uh, for humanity. And then he goes on, and what does he do? We read the story in Genesis 2 that he starts to bring all the animals to Adam, and Adam starts to to name all the animals. He's exercising leadership and dominion over them. And as he's naming them, he starts to notice that all the animals are coming in pairs, and he has no one to to help him or that, that fits him. Now, do you think when he notices that, you think God starts to scratch his head and say, well, gee, Adam, that's right, I didn't, wow, you're right. No, making woman was not an afterthought for God. God knew exactly what he was doing. He was allowing the animals to come to Adam so that Adam could see, I'm lacking something. I'm lacking something. I have no one to cohabitate with me and to, to, to do this life with me. So that he, what he's doing is he's enabling Adam to have a better appreciation and a better ability to honor woman because he, he realizes what it was like without her and he sees others with a partner, and so he brings her uh, then to Adam, and he, he creates her, and he brings her uh, to Adam, and, and, and please understand that, that this is what God is doing, because he's setting up this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of her, a beautiful picture of her, and, and he's valuing her before Adam. Galatians chapter 2, 28, 
uh, says, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And God is establishing that equality from the beginning of time. And so then, it's interesting, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the way in which he, so we hone in on how he goes about creating woman. He causes a deep sleep to come over Adam, and he opens up his side, a rib from his side, and from the rib from his side, he forms Eve. And it's interesting that he creates her in this way, that she is formed from the side because she is not in front of him in domination or feminism, as we would call it today. She's not behind him in in denigration or chauvinism, but she is beside him in partnership and in equality, this unique way that God goes about making her. We call this view today complementarianism. That's where we stand on the role of women in marriage and church as we we hold a complementarian view as, as as a church. We believe that men and women are distinct, but equal. They have complementary roles, different, but they serve uh, each other very well. And what God does is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 33, speaking to gender roles, here's what God says through Paul. He says, I am not a God of confusion. I'm a God of of order and of, of peace. And so in order for there to be order and peace, there has to be Leadership, And so God establishes that in the home and in the, the church, he says, I want man to lead. That is how I've, I've set it up. And it's not because man is better or even necessarily more apt to lead, but someone has to lead and he puts it on man. And listen, fellas, maybe you've already had a sense of this, that leadership is a burden to bear. I don't know if you've ever sensed that, but leadership is a, a burden to bear. So, for me as a leader of the church, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says that, that I'm going to stand accountable before the Lord one day for how we lead the flock and how we shepherd the flock. And there have been nights that are sleepless nights for me as I can't fall asleep because I'm thinking about things and I'm praying about things and working through things and saying, I'm going to stand accountable for the Lord. I have a real sense of the burden of shepherding and leading the flock. And likewise, Men are going to stand accountable for their marriages and their home. Women, he's going to bear that burden for you. So don't be insulted by that. Be liberated by that. He's taking that burden off of you and bearing that himself. It is a freeing disposition. Genesis chapter 3, after they eat the forbidden fruit, you know the story goes on, and they eat the fruit. Notice, who does God come calling for? after they eat the fruit. In verse 9 of chapter 3, he comes calling for Adam, for the man, and he says, where are you? Isn't that interesting that he could have come to Eve? He comes to the man and says, where are you? You're the leader in this thing, and you are accountable for this. Not that women aren't accountable for their own sin, but he's calling to the man and saying, where are you? You are accountable. And so men, we have to step up, and we have to lead in the marriage. We have to lead in the family. Now, ladies, you have to allow him to lead, don't you? And this is kind of challenging. You have to allow him to lead. And that doesn't mean passively allow him to lead. It doesn't mean that 
you just wipe your hands and say, I'm not going to do anything. No, you have to allow him to lead, but you can nurture his leadership. And, and we need to begin to think about how can I, ladies, how can I nurture the leadership of my husband? Or one day, how might I be able to nurture the leadership of my husband? And it should be your joy that I can, I can help him, the one that I love so much, become the leader that God's calling him to be. Some things that you can do is not just sit idly by and passively by, but you can speak into situations. Because he's the leader doesn't mean you have no input. You give great input and you offer counsel and you, you speak into things. You can ask good questions that would cause him to think about things that maybe he wouldn't otherwise think about. You can make not an order, but you can make appeals. That's, that's really helpful, is appeal to him in, in question. That you need to respect his, his God-given role. Uh, Ephesians 5.33b, the second half, says this, that, that the, the wife, it says, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Respects her husband. Now, respect, contrary to popular belief, is not just something that is earned. It is something that you can give. You can give honor, and you can give respect even to the, those who don't necessarily or haven't necessarily earned it. And so grant that respect, and that will help nurture his leadership and push him in that direction. I'll I'll say this. Nothing, in my experience, nothing deflates a a husband or even just men in general more than feeling disrespected. Fellas, you ever been there? There's a difference. It's just a a lighthearted way of seeing it. It's one thing if if you you pass a a guy and he's like, hey, what's up, bro? But there's there's another thing that guys do. To disrespect you and say, hey, buddy, buddy, right? You, instantly you feel like, oh, that's what I am, just a buddy. I'm like a little boy to you, right? And, and guys do that. It's this goofy thing. But listen, you can quickly deflate a guy by disrespecting him. And so ladies, help nurture him and, and push him in the right direction to be the man that God's calling him to be by nurturing that leadership role and by offering that respect that God uh, is asking you, calling you. To, to grant to him. Now, doesn't mean that he's earned it. Doesn't mean that he will perfectly lead and be great at it all the time. No, he won't. He probably hasn't. You've probably seen it, or you will see it, see him fall and fail and hopefully grow, but you keep allowing him to lead and nurturing him. Genesis chapter 2, you are his helper in this. You are his partner in this, and you want to nurture that, and you want to see him success, uh, succeed. And so when he pushes in that direction, don't resist his efforts because of the past, but say, no, I, I, I'm not going to resist. When he finally steps up to lead, don't go, well, finally, it's about time. Instead, you say, all right, you're stepping up. It's kind of hard because you haven't done it in the past, but you're doing it, and you want to nurture that and, and help that. And men, Ephesians 5, we lead as Christ led, as Christ loves the church, sacrificially lead. Jesus was a servant leader. He was a leader who washes feet. And so leading is not putting someone under your thumb and oppressing them. It's serving them and giving yourself up for them. And so hopefully we're tearing down some of those misconceptions about what it means to, to lead and to submit. Now, moving a little more into the, the role of wife. And let me just say this, that in God's economy, as you look through the scriptures and you look at the role of different people in different places, whether in the temple, in the church, in a nation, 
God never uses someone's role to measure their worth. God never uses someone's role and says, well, that means you're worth more. Never does he. You're all worth the same to the Lord. You're all equal. Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all equal, one, in Christ Jesus. But what we do see as we move into the the roles a little bit more is that there are what I would call domains. There are differing domains. Genesis chapter 3 will point to this. Remember, Adam and Eve then become deceived by the, the serpent. They eat of the forbidden fruit. And God then begins to describe the effects of, of sin. And he begins to speak to their curses. Uh, in verse 19, for both, he says there's, there's death. For both man and woman, because of sin, there's death. You have been made from the dust, and dust you shall return. But then he gives a specific curse for them. For Eve, specific curse. For mankind, specific curse. And what we'll see is that their specific curses speak to specific domains for men and for women. So for Eve, in pain, you shall bring forth children. In pain, you shall bring forth children, speaking to a specific domain for her. I got my wife really, really good when she was pregnant with Isaiah, our first child. And um, because of the curse, uh, that childbearing will be very painful. Um, I, I went up to her one day with a straight face, and I thought this was going to be really funny, and it didn't work out all that well. And I said, Becky, I've been thinking about it, praying about it. You know this whole epidural thing? I don't think you should have one because you're running from God and the, the, the curse. And she's like, she almost killed me, just like a cartoon, just steam and devil horn. Like, what? And then I said, I'm just joking. And she... Couldn't get over it for a little while. <laughs> Honestly, here's my thoughts on that matter. In chapter 1, we saw that we are to exercise dominion, and so modern medicine is a way that we exercise dominion. And so the epidural is a gift of God. That's my conviction. And so uh, we're good. If you want an epidural, you're good. And uh, don't try that one on her someday. But childbearing is hard. It is, it is hard. Um, something women do, and I've heard my wife do this many times, is when they get around you know, other women with babies, they, uh, they swap battle stories, you know, about giving birth, you know, and it sounds like, you know, the football team after a big game, you know, it's just like, I juked here, and I went over here, and then she went breach, and it was like, ah, and I, you know, it's just crazy hearing these, these stories, I could barely walk, it was terrible, you know, it's hard, it's hard, and the curse that God says is, in pain you shall bring forth children, and for Adam, The curse he specifically gives is, curse is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So guys, to put food on the table for the family is very, very hard. And we have to work to provide, but it's not easy and it's exhausting. And what we see is that their curses reflect their domain, that man and woman's curse reflects a, a sp- specific domain. Uh, ladies, your curse is childbearing for sin, specifically, which your primary domain, I say primary, is a homeward domain, children and, and family. And men, the curse is difficulty in work and providing, and so your primary domain is marketplace and, and, and work. Now, before the tomatoes start flying, Let's press in a little, little bit more because I know that this 
feels a little bit painful. Sometimes we read Scripture and it feels like a nice, cool cloth on a hot summer day on your face, you know, as you read through the Psalms. And then other times it feels like sandpaper on your forehead. And maybe that's what you're feeling right now. And that's actually, I would say this, it's okay when you feel that rub because what it does is it really starts to check your heart. Do you follow God or do you follow culture? And so, again, please remember that different doesn't mean unequal. But the, to, the average woman doesn't need to, to be able to carry around you know, big sheets of drywall at a construction site to be equal to a man. And praise God, a man doesn't have to be able to give birth to be equal uh, to a woman. We have different roles that complement each other, and that is a, it's a good thing. And again, as, as Dan taught a, a few weeks ago, that we are made in the image and likeness of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, Trinity, different roles. And God the Father uh, says to Jesus, I'm sending you out. And then Jesus then leaves us with the Helper, the Holy Spirit, different roles, but equal, Father, Son, and Spirit. Similar uh, in our situation is our relationship, men and women, that we are different, but we are equal. Now, does that mean that if the woman's domain is homeward, does that mean that she can never work? No. You look at Proverbs 31, and you have the Proverbs 31 woman, which some of you maybe have, have read about. Ladies, maybe you've looked at her and said, I, I want to be like that. That's a great person to aspire to be. Maybe you've looked at her. She is, you know, she trades in the marketplace, and so there is room for women to work, but when a woman marries and has children, she certainly doesn't need to feel the pressure from her husband that she has to. She shouldn't feel the pressure that she has to. In fact, I promise you, when your children are 18, 19, and 20 years old, ladies, you're not going to say, man, I wish I worked more. In fact, you're going to say quite the opposite. I wish I was spent more time with my my children. And for many ladies, we want so bad to, to, to be at home with their children for longer than just a, a brief maternity leave. But I wonder how many ladies, and I've had a lot of conversations, feel the, the pressure to live a certain kind of lifestyle. Maybe it's they put it on them, themselves, or maybe their husbands put it. We've got to live at this level. We've got to have this kind of house. We've got to have this kind of car. We've got to dress this kind of way. We've got to send our kids to this kind of school. And so we've got to work. Or the, the husband puts that pressure on you. you. You have to work. Can I just point out that when, a, when the mother works a full-time job, oftentimes after daycare, after transportation, and after taxes, because more income puts you in a higher tax bracket, oftentimes it totals out to no extra income in the end. Husbands, part of our job is to bear that burden for them, to free her up so that should she want to be home with the kids, she should be freed up to do that. And women, you should never feel like, I'm not making a contribution to society, because one of the best contributions that we can make as Christians, is to raise families that know and love and fear and serve the Lord and impact culture. It's one of the greatest contributions that we can make. And so men, we need to free her up to do that. doesn't mean that there's no exceptions. I understand Boston is ridiculously, ridiculously expensive to live. 
but we need to really push towards that. Men, have a marketplace orientation. So men, don't be lazy. Work hard. Provide. Women, have a homeward orientation, and that's great as well. This is how we are made. And so, ladies, your primary roles after following the Lord are going to be to be a wife and to be a good mother, if that's what God allows you to be. Genesis chapter 1, 28, we're called to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. So Christians, we are expected uh, to, to pursue having a family. And that's not always God's plan for everyone, but we need to uh, seek to move that way, to fill the earth with God-glorifying, kingdom-minded children. Genesis chapter two eighteen says, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper. He makes women so that they are then able to, to do that. And again, it's not a demeaning designation. God refers to himself, God the Holy Spirit, as the helper. And Jesus and God the Holy Spirit, notice in scriptures they work hand in hand. They have different roles. And Jesus is the the covenant head. As you look through scriptures and the covenants, there's always a covenant head. Jesus is the covenant head. But without the Holy Spirit, we're not living lives of holiness. And you often notice in the lives of children, father is called to be a, a leader in the home. But without a nurturing mother at home, it's hard to raise children to fear and love the Lord. So it's mind-boggling to me that people hear different and equate that with inequality. Different but complementary is what God is calling us to be. Women, first of all, you are a daughter of God, and then you may, if it's God's plan, become a valued wife and then a mother. And these are beautiful things to aspire to, beautiful things to aspire to. I talked to my wife, she said, I just wanted to be a mom. And that's great. That's amazing. That's wonderful. She said, one thing I did know is that I didn't want to marry a pastor, and here we are. But she wanted to be a mom. And different but complementary. Men, marketplace inclination. Women, homeward inclination. Ladies, have you ever been to a guy's house who's moved outside of, out of his parents' house? And you've seen it? It's like you have to wear a hazmat suit to go in there. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that, was, that was my place. It needs some help. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever seen a, a, a guy hold a baby, a young guy hold a baby? It's awkward, and, you know, it's like, do I tuck it like a football and protect it and run? I don't, but you, you give a baby, I mean, you give a baby to a, a young girl, and she just lights up and just seems to, seems to know. I mean, we're created this way. My daughter, my boys immediately went to dinosaurs and smashing things. My daughter takes baby dolls, and it's amazing. I didn't teach her these things. God designs us these ways, different but complementary, and it's, it's a good, good thing. Let's stop saying we need to be identical because we don't need to be identical. It's, it's a good thing that, that God has done. It's, it's a wonderful thing that God has done. Now, in our culture, what we often do is we see the other role from whatever side we're on. We see the other role, and we want that. A lot of times. And we elevate that. And so many men will look at wives and look at ladies that get to be at home with their kids and they say, man, I want that job. Stay at home all the time, play with the kids, read books to the kids, watch some Dr. Phil. I mean, that'd be great. As if it's, it's easy and that's all. It, no, kids are sinful and hard. It's challenging. Ask any of these guys after the women's retreat weekend. Every year we come, 
It's like Sunday morning shows up, and the kids' hair, like, they're disheveled, and they look like, you know, you know, they just went through the war. It's crazy. And that's part of the curse, but women are uniquely gifted, uniquely gifted. Sometimes I come home from work, and Becky looks like she has just been in a street fight, you know? <laughs> she, she's, she's got this face like, help me, <laughs> help me, come in at 6, 6.30, I'm here for you, girl. And uh, she's been fighting these children all day long. It's hard. But on the flip side, many women want so badly to be in the, in the marketplace, and they see it as the better role. And it's not better, it's just, it's just different. Genesis 3, 17, cursed is the ground. Fellas, it's hard to provide, isn't it? It's stressful. You have deadlines. You're going to have things that, that your boss requires of you. You have all this pressure and quota, things that you have to meet. Performance review, job loss being threatened with a fledgling economy, stress and, and pressure there. I just want us to see that both sides are, are hard. So many of us long for the other side. But you know what the Bible calls that? Tenth commandment, coveting. We covet what the other one has, and this gender war thing has popped up in our culture. And you know what gender wars are? It just speaks to the sin of, of mankind. We want what's not necessarily ours. And think about it. Today in our culture, which domain is more desirable? Obviously, the marketplace is more desirable. Why is that? Because in our culture, especially in Boston, the marketplace is your identity, isn't it? That I'm not a father or a husband, I'm a stockbroker or a professor. I'm not a father or a husband, I'm a Boston cop or a firefighter. And in our culture, the marketplace is your name and your worth and your identity and your contribution to society. But as a Christian, what is your name and where is your worth? It's Jesus. It's the gospel. That Jesus loves you unconditionally. And that he has chosen you and that you are his. And he is yours. And he is committed to you. And that is your identity. One of our best contributions to society is a family that honors the Lord and children who love and and serve And so, when many people say, I just want the marketplace, I just want the marketplace because that's where identity is. We want that because it's, in our culture, the most valued domain today. You know, in the Bible, what was the most valued domain? In the Bible, what was exalted and and lifted up? You know, the home was, right? As you read through the the scripture, men didn't live for their work. They, They worked so that they could live. They could come home and and train their children to love the Lord. They could feed their family. They could love their wives. They could have a house of hospitality and of of ministry. They could raise children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6, 4. And so, listen, culture to culture, we're going to value different sides. But those aren't where our, our worth is found, our identity is found. Our identity is found in Christ. And so don't let the culture tell you what is valuable. Let the scriptures tell you what is valuable. And the scriptures do not paint a picture, ladies, of Cinderella, the you know, rag in her hair and 
washing dishes all the time. That's all she does. Picture for yourself what we really start to see as you move into Proverbs 31. And I would challenge and encourage you to read that. You see a picture of a home that is a home of love and of peace. You see a home of hospitality and of ministry, a home where uh, vibrant marriage is based out of, a home where children feel secure, a home where Jesus is, is central, a home that is productive and contributes to society. And God has given you the ability to, to really nurture and to, to build that kind of home. Well, let me close with a proverb, uh, Proverbs 14.1, and this is a, a great one for uh, ladies for you to memorize. And here's what it says. It says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So it says, if you want to be wise, build a healthy home. But you're foolish if you don't serve that end and, and, and it tears it down. Ladies, you're uniquely equipped at this. And it, again, this doesn't mean that you can't go on and get a job, and have a career, and and contribute in that way. But it does mean that your primary responsibility is going to be that homeward direction. And finally, the gospel. I always want to bring it back to the gospel, because this is really all about a gospel-centered marriage. Hopefully, you're beginning to see that, listen, Jesus is your identity. Jesus is your everything. That Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because of our sin. He saw us in this helpless state. He became one of us. He walked this earth. God in the flesh dwelt among us sinless, but died the death of a sinner as our substitution. Resurrects to life and sits as the king and wants to be the king of your heart and the king of your life and be central to everything that you do so that your identity is not being a stockbroker. Your identity is not even being a mother. Your identity is Jesus, and he's your value, and he's why you're worth anything because you were created in his image and likeness, and he is the Lord of your life, and he loves you unconditionally. And as we trust Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus, all of these things start to come together. You can give grace to the other person, the other partner, when you look at them and they fail. So ladies, if a husband has, has not been a great leader in the home, you can give him grace because Jesus gave you grace and vice versa. Men, if your, your wife hasn't been a, a, a great wife, misguided priorities, you can give her grace because Jesus gave you grace. You can find your identity in Jesus. It shapes everything. Our, our marriages are to be centered on the gospel because the mystery is profound. The mystery of marriage speaks to Christ and his church. And we, as people who are married, get to then be examples of the gospel of Jesus to the world. And we get to look upon this institution that God has set up and said, that's a good picture of God's love towards me. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. You can guide us. And Lord, I pray for clarity in the midst of all of this. God, I pray that For the ladies in the room, I pray that they would see these things and be liberated by these many gifts that you've given them, by their unique makeup, by uh, the the freeing disposition of having a a husband carry that that burden of leadership. God, free us in these things. God, may we long to honor you, ultimately, and to live the way you've made us because you, you made us and you know what's best for us. I pray that we would 
we would function in our equal complementary roles and thrive in these roles, God, as we grow in you. And God, I pray too for this message of Jesus, that it would continue to sink into our hearts, that we would be rooted in the gospel of Jesus, every aspect of who we are and marriage, be rooted in Jesus. Give us the ability to exercise grace when it's hard. Give us the ability to receive grace when we know we've messed up. And God, we just, we're so in awe of these gifts. Thank you, Lord. Lord, sanctify us in these things. Grow us to be more and more and more like Jesus. Whether married or unmarried, to be married, never going to be married. But we want to be like Jesus. We want to honor you. I want you to be at the focus center of our lives. Do in us what you need to do in us, Father. As we sing this song of response, we, we come before you in prayer, in the form of a song. And so would you hear our prayers, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.